0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David
1: McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. <laughs> Heck yeah. The sun is shining out there, a little chilly, but we are almost at the midway point of February. Hard to believe.
2: Which means we're in the middle of full spring. <laughs> That's right. Because they're going to get
1: cold oh, again. Oh, yeah. Isn't they're, it?
2: they're pretty much guaranteed to have another cold snap between <laughs> here and the end of winter. No doubt. But this Sunday. Sunday, Super Bowl. Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> That's right. Super
1: Bowl on tap. You going to watch? Oh, yeah. You going to start with the pregame? <laughs> what would you say? 3 a.m.? 3 a.m. on
2: Saturday, yes. <laughs> It's when the pre 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 pre, pre game show starts. That's right. They milk it, don't they? It's lost a little bit of its luster because a lot of the companies that have spent millions of dollars on the commercial and then millions of dollars on their ad spot during the Super Bowl, yeah, have started putting their commercials out early. Really? Oh yeah. So you 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 lose a little bit. Like I understand the ones that try, are trying to tell us longer story than 30 seconds they'll put out a prologue and then you got to watch the super bowl to see the rest but some of them are just putting out their super bowl super bowl ads early just going ahead with it but they're not paying super bowl tag though price tag i mean they're still paying to run it during the super bowl so it, right. it seems counterintuitive right like, why would you spend all that money to make the commercial and then spend all that money to put it in the super bowl if you're just going to give it away for free on twitter i don't know
1: it's a good one hmm
2: Well, a lot of stuff going
1: on across the uh, state, across the nation. Deadline yesterday for general bills to come out of their respective chambers. We've got Representative Trey Lamar coming on the program in the next segment at 1020. He represents District 8, serves as the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and then at 11.05, Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Talk Mississippi News, will join us to run down all the headlines from a, the, across the state over the past week. We're here and settled in for that today. Uh, you think folks pay attention to the Super Bowl the way they did? I don't remember last year was the viewership
2: in the same range? Did it kind of return to I don't the want to say it was record-breaking, levels? but I do remember it being in the top 15 of all time. I'm going to oh. double-check. Okay. So uh, who do you think is going to win?
1: You thought about that? What? Are the, who's who's uh, the odds-on favorite? Oh, I hadn't even looked at that. I hadn't either. Not really sure. Well, down there at the Capitol... You know, you could cut the tension with a knife, as they say. Senator John Horn, who's been on this program many times, says that the conflict between the city and the state, the worst he has ever seen, and he's been serving for quite some time, more than three decades, as a matter of fact, has Senator Horn. Been a member of the state Senate. He says, I've never seen it, I'm quoting here, I've never seen it as bad as it is between the city of Jackson and state leadership as I see it today. Now this, of course, is in reference to the bill that would transfer, essentially, control from a Police law enforcement perspective and a judicial perspective of a region of the city of Jackson to the state. The Capitol Complex Improvement District, as it is known, would expand geographically and take in much of the city north of the downtown area, the present area that is considered the the CCID, the Capital Complex Improvement District. It would expand that. Capitol Police would have responsibility for patrolling that area. And perhaps most controversial is that the legislation would create a new judicial district, and judges would be appointed by... The Supreme Court. We discussed that yesterday, and then, as I recall, Rhino, the Attorney General, I believe, would have some responsibility, and or would be responsible for appointing uh, prosecutors. Yeah. And then, what's the other entity that would appoint the defenders, the public Mississippi
2: defenders? public defenders?
1: Maybe that's right. Yeah, I think just so. off the top of my head. Yeah, the key. I think the key aspect, however, is that is at the heart of the conflict. Uh, is the judges, I I believe, that would be appointed by the Supreme Court. So that has got folks uh, fairly fired up. I think that's an accurate way
2: to describe it. It's almost like they're just looking for a reason to be fired up. Because they're fired up when the state doesn't offer help, or they claim doesn't offer help, and they're fired up when the state does offer help. I, I agree. It seems like a
1: no-win situation, and we're, of course, in this predicament.
2: It's like the only help they want is just throw money at it so they can do something corrupt with it. Really?
1: Uh, That happens?
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, I, I agree, and you don't want to see our capital city. I mean, I have mixed feelings about this. I don't want to see our capital city continue to deteriorate it's it's not in the best interest of the citizens across the state or the state in general. That's not a good thing. You don't want to see that. You really don't want to see the state, in my view, get involved in governing to some extent. It's not full governing, but certainly being in charge of law enforcement, which is going to require expansion of Capitol Police, and then establishing this new judicial district, I'd rather see the state focus on matters that are more germane to the state. But on the other hand, I understand the capital city is beset with a, a panoply of problems. Uh, crime, obviously, is a huge issue. Infrastructure is a huge issue. i got to also point this out. You've been down fifty-five between here and, say, the downtown area or even Lakeland Drive between here and there. That stretch, trash everywhere. It's like somebody just dumped their garbage cans out on the interstate. I mean, that sort of trash, because it's it's big items. I don't think that's just people throwing stuff out of their vehicles.
2: I mean, yeah, you see litter up and down the highways across the Magnolia State, but you don't usually see stacks of tires or recliners or right. just a broken trailer. It's a lot between the
1: here and the three- or four-mile stretch south of our position on 55. It's disgusting. It's At a minimum, it's a huge eyesore. And it – you know, I think about bringing people in here from out of state and traveling that stretch – Maybe it's people you're trying to sell on investing in a new economic development project or new economic project in our state. It, do, it does get to their brains. I mean they, you can't help but see that, witness it, observe it, process it. To me, it sends the message of people in the state are irresponsible. They just dump their trash, their garbage on the highways on the streets, doesn't really project the state in a positive way. And I happen to believe it's inconsistent with the feelings and the sentiments and the attitude of most people in the state. It's like everything. It's I think it's a handful, a minority of people who are dumping their trash out there. But it's everywhere in the city of Jackson for sure. Man, it's um disheartening. I just happen to notice that the last few days it just seems like it's increased certainly in the volume of trash that's littered about on our interstates, on the in the median and on the the banks certainly under the overpasses and uh, just, just off to the side of the, of the roads there, separating, the interstate and the frontage road, just doesn't look good. Doesn't send a good, good message. Representative Trey Lamar on midday's next. We're in the Element Well Studios.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Let the good times roll. Let the good time roll. I don't care if you yoga. Your Get together and let the good time roll.
1: Welcome back everyone, midday Super Top Mississippi. We are back with you from the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, Representative Trey Lamar from the Mississippi House of Representatives. Trey, how's it
4: going today? Hello, Gerard. I'm fine. How are you?
1: I'm doing wonderful. And and just so the audience will know, uh, Trey serves as the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. It's been a bit of a busier session there, Representative Lamar, than I anticipated, and I think most of us did Um, before we got started and uh, you're the one that stirred it all up there. <laughs> you, of course, offered this very controversial bill, House Bill 1020. We've been talking about it quite a bit on the program that would extend the Capital Complex Improvement District, also known as the CCID. I was in the gallery, uh, Trey, when you guys were debating this and I, I've talked about it on the show I, I noticed on the north side of the chamber in the gallery mm-hmm. sat the mayor of Jackson and uh, a number what appeared to be in his party and I was on the south side of the chamber looking down and, and listening. Uh, I watched all the amendments offered by Representative Johnson and, uh, and the discussion back and forth and, and, and you have in him, of course, uh, alternating in the well, talking about the amendments. I must say, uh, before I, I let you talk, I must say that I observed and I talked about this on the show: the decibel level of the voice votes from both sides was perhaps the loudest I've ever heard on these amendments. Now, I'll admit, I haven't been there for certainly as many as you have, but it kind of hurt my head listening to those voice votes, which I think just demonstrates the passion about this issue on both sides. Of course, uh, it's passed the House, headed over to the Senate. Tell us about it.
4: Well, you're right, uh, Gerard. Certainly about one thing. Uh, it has been a busy year. <laughs> um, this being an election year, people said oh, it's going to be quiet. Well, it, it's uh, last year was tough, but man, this year has been. Um, we've had a lot of bills come through my committee, and a lot of difficult issues, uh, both just from a uh, just complex standpoint, both. Um, Uh, politically but not just politically we've got issues we've got a we've got a software tax bill right now that's extremely uh complicated um may need to bring you in to help us understand some of those terms but uh i've had to learn a new language i feel like (laughs) to even have conversations about that bill but a lot of issues you're right you know we had 401 that's still in the senate that's still out there earlier this year that's controversial and you and i've had conversations about that before but but Nothing like ten twenty this right. week. I mean, it, it really re- reach the climax with with uh, ten twenty, uh, and I'll start out. You know, the, the mainstream media. I don't think I've ever seen a, a worse instance with uh, a certain media outlet just trying to get clicks, uh, and they succeeded. I mean, uh, the Mississippi Today article that they that they released saying, you know, it, it mentions white versus black several times in their headline. You know, we ended up getting picked up coast to coast. Um, and it, I guess that was their intention because that's what they did. Uh, they even went back and used a picture of me that was five or six years old because, uh, you know, I was uh, wearing a seersucker suit. So I guess that suit fit their narrative of, of well, race. Well, what's up you with know? that? They couldn't, they couldn't take a picture from this week. Um, yeah, <laughs> go back and look at the article. You'll see the picture of me is about five years old. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but... So anybody who picked up on that or just used that as the clickbait that the, that the headline uh, solicited uh, would automatically believe or assume um, that this was all about race when the bill itself never mentions race. It has no racial uh, intent or animus uh, whatsoever, and I would argue no racial effect. Uh, we had many of those conversations on the floor. Um, the bill is simply designed to assist the heinz county judicial um, judiciary uh, and and improve our judicial resources in Heinz county i said this from the floor a couple times i believe law enforcement uh, is only so good as the judiciary that backs it up uh, and you know we've got a severe backlog uh, in the heinz county judicial system uh, and our criminal courts there and really we're just trying to help um that's all there is to it and I, I hate that the theme that so many people saw was the racial part of it but I, I chose to not get down into that gutter uh and i chose just to stick to the facts and that's what i'm going to continue to try to do um going forward
1: and uh, i will i will agree uh representative lamar i again i was there i observed it i observed the debate the discussion and I certainly would agree that uh, your statements, I felt, were objective, were, were dispassionate, uh, weren't just full of all sorts of Trey Lamar's opinion, uh, but really more about, have we got a problem and we got to fix it? And I just I felt like that amendments being offered in, in the discussion about those amendments were sort of designed to, to divert and pivot the discussion to one of, I know this is all rooted in race. And I wonder if that's not being driven uh, by what we're seeing on on a national basis. We, we've got a, um, a federal administration, the Biden administration, and and many below the, uh, him in the cabinet and so forth, that want to make everything about that. And as long as we do that, I don't feel like we can solve any problems.
4: Well, I agree with that, Gerard. I'll tell you, it's it's a lot of it. In my opinion, is driven by the mayor of Jackson, um, and this is this is not racial whatsoever, white, black, whatever. Um, you've got a very radical mayor that's you know lording over Jackson right now. Uh, he, he, I have had multiple instances of other. Um, people that are involved uh, in the Jackson the city council or other leadership positions in Jackson that are, not they don't look like me. They're not the same color as me or they're not the same political party as me. And they, they can't get along with the mayor either. That's just the way he is. And I think he puts a lot of pressure uh, on the Jackson delegation. Um, and you saw, I mean he was sitting in the balcony with his entourage the entire time you've already mentioned that. Um, And he put a lot of pressure on those guys. And and if you look at his comments after the debate, he specifically uh, thanked them for uh, the Jackson delegation and the Legislative Black Caucus for doing what he, uh, really his bidding, what he wanted to do. And he ended his statements with saying everybody else left their, their KKK hoods at home. That's just the kind of radical guy we've got in office there. Those comments really have no place in a in a um, fair uh and a fair discussion and an open discussion about how do we improve the very serious crime problem that we have in jackson um and it's unfortunate i'll tell you this i have had many i'm not going to get into names because i don't want to call anybody out but many many individuals uh from the uh, democratic caucus come to me since that debate uh, and say hey look let's work together we know there's a bad crime problem a lot of what was said the other night was just staging, or we felt like some of them felt like they had to say it for certain reasons. Um, but they acknowledge the crime problem and they want to sit down and work with us to, to try to improve it. Um, it, there are many people in the, in the Democrat party and the Jackson delegation that, that recognize that. And I've told every one of them, I welcome those discussions. Uh, I'm, look forward to working with you. I'm going to look past a lot of the comments that were made. Um, this past week, um, even though I, I and my my leadership in the house have been called a racist, you know, everywhere from California to New York. This week, we're going to look past that and we're going to try to be the bigger persons and uh, continue to work with them to improve the capital city of Mississippi.
1: Trey, what was your motivation personally to author this bill? Well, uh, it's uh, not really something you'd consider uh, core to Ways and Means. It's not a matter there. Of course, it's no. a general bill, but we got a break right here, and we'll let you answer that on the other side. But I'm, I'm just curious as to what your personal motivation was. We're coming right back with Representative Trey Lamar on Midday. Stay with us.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
3: Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Now when I was a young boy, at the age of five, my mother South gonna be the greatest man alive."
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi from the Element Well Studios. Representative Trey Lamar, our guest, he chairs the House Ways and Means Committee. So, Representative Lamar, before we went to break, was just curious about what motivated you personally to get involved with this legislation and author this bill.
4: Yeah, uh, thanks, Gerard. I, I would just say. Um, you know, it, I felt like it was the right thing to do. The Capital Complex District is, um, it was created in 2017 and there's been a lot of talk about expanding it. Uh, I am an attorney by trade. That's what I, that's what I call my day job. Um, so I'm familiar with the court system. Um, I have that background and experience and really just hearing from a lot of people that, they are tired of the back and forth uh, in Jackson. Um, you know, I, I guess they're tired of the turf battles of this part of Jackson versus that part of Jackson or Hines County versus Madison County and all this. They don't care about any of that. They, they they just want they want to be able to turn on the water and have clean water come out. They want to be able to flush the toilets and the toilets work. They want to be able to walk to the mailbox without fear of their life. Uh, those are three pretty basic things. Uh, and at the end of the day, I believe, and I you know, came to the conclusion that Jackson is Mississippi's capital city. It does not belong exclusively to the citizens of Jackson the way some have claimed. Uh, it's all our capital city. And I know um, we don't have to look far, just the states around us, to show that that some of the states that are doing better than we are have a thriving um, metropolitan area, and you know, look at Alabama. Look at what some of the things that Birmingham has done. Look at what Huntsville has done. Look, go drive around Alabama's capital uh, in Montgomery and see see how nice it looks down there. Uh, go to Nashville. Uh, Nashville's its own entity in and of itself i mean it's not really comparable but but arkansas is go spend some time in little rock look look at some of the awesome things they've got going on in little rock um baton rouge too. we don't have that yet yeah yeah certainly baton rouge as well go go compare those those metropolitan areas in our surrounding states to what we've got going on in jackson and so how much more our economy is doing great across the state but how much more um you know, could our economy be ginning if we had a thriving metropolitan city in Mississippi? Um, and, you know, I think, um, Mississippi as a state, as a whole, uh, will benefit from a resurgence in, in economic activity in the city of Jackson. And so those are just a few areas. Uh, I, you know, the economic part of it is one of them, um, you know, we fund the CCID with tax diversions and tax diversions come from, from my committee. So that's really how the, the legislation ended up in the Ways and Means Committee instead of solely going to the Judiciary Committee. Okay. Um, but uh, some have asked me that question, but that's why it had, okay. it had a tax element in the bill. Um, you know, and I, my background with understanding the judicial system and, and, and all of that, I felt like it was a good bill to present. And no, um, you know, my people in Tate County were not saying, Hey, you better go down there and pass, you know, this CCID judicial bill for Jackson. But this is kind of bigger than that. I feel like it's an effort to, to help not only the city of Jackson, but the state as a whole. Uh, and, and when all Mississippians come to Jackson, I want them to be able to feel safe and I want them to be able to come visit. And that, that's, that's good for the people who live in Jackson and for any Mississippian who wants to be truly be proud of their capital city and and right now uh in a lot of ways they can't be
1: yeah and that's i appreciate that appreciate your candor there uh trey Uh, what i i guess i really wondered and and you i think answered that were you hearing from people not just in jackson but around the state that said we got to do something and we need your help here was was that part of uh, what possessed you to take action here
4: yeah, it certainly it was. And, and sadly, I have to admit that I'm here. We've heard all of us, a lot of leadership have heard from a lot of people that don't live in Jackson and say they, you know, there's, there's an element out there that just said, let it go. It's too far yeah, gone.
1: I heard it too. Yeah.
4: Well, I choose to take a different approach to that. Um, you know, it, 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 did, it hadn't hurt me anything more than just some brain power and, and a lot of time. But I, I felt like if I'm going to be down in Jackson this session, I might as well. Try to do something good, and, and this is this was kind of the main thing that that, that uh, we've came up with to to help the system. I mean, the, the criminal element in Jackson is real. We cited numerous statistics about that on the floor this week. Nobody can deny that. Right. Nobody can deny the serious backlog in the Hines County judiciary. Um, you know, some of the merits of the arguments against the bill deal with. Uh, Appointed judges uh, is a big one. That That's a red herring. I mean, there are four appointed judges uh, in Hines County right now uh, that the Chief Justice and the Supreme Court has appointed to hear a uh, backlog of cases. Those judges' positions are being funded by ARPA money that's just temporary. Hmm. It's going to run out soon. So, um, and, and there are judges that are appointed hearing cases all over the state. That, that's I tried to point out a lot of that um during the floor debate i'll give you an example where i'm from um you know where where judges hear cases they're not always elected from the county where they hear cases in my district uh, i live in tate county and several of our judges both on the circuit and chancery court side have been elected uh from other counties but they still preside over cases in tate county where i'm from it's this is not something that is uncommon the way Uh, It was portrayed to be. Um, It was simply designed to to uh, not limit the judicial pool uh, of whoever could be appointed to a smaller population inside the CCID. And the the best judge may very well be from inside the CCID or somewhere else in Heinz County. But the best judge for that job may live outside of Heinz County. And you know, I think that's something we'll continue to debate. But um, it's not something far in the way it was made made to sound like.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I know there was an amendment offered that would restrict the pool to just residents of Hines County when the Supreme Court uh, considered individuals to appoint to the bench there. Uh, and, and that was and, – and you responded to that. And, of course, that the <laughs> – immediately the uh, – everybody ju- jumped to the racism conclusion and racism yeah. argument. And I, I didn't think that was fair and, and really uh, reflected the intent there. But I guess the bigger question is, Trey, how do we dispense with this grandstanding and this just attributing every single problem to racism and move on to let's, let's analyze, consume, consider the facts, the data – and come up with workable solutions we can all get behind. I I just feel like that in our whole country we're moving away from uh, that governing philosophy.
4: Yeah, you know, I'm not one to give up. I I truly believe that the best way to do that is just to focus, to stay the course and focus on um, communication and better communication, Um, not get offended when somebody says something uh and throws race into it uh and that's you know i'm trying to i guess be the bigger person there um and you know we'll see but i've had several conversations with with uh, members of the jackson uh, city of jackson delegation that said hey look we know there's a crime problem we want to work on this um can we talk? And I said, sure, let's talk. Let's, let's sit down. Let's, let's communicate better. Let's figure it out. We may not always agree on what the best solution is, Yeah. but the communication, communication in many, many times, uh, can, uh, help so much with some of those, um, help keep us from going. Some people from going down those avenues where they just get focused on things that really don't help us get to, uh, get to a solution.
1: In the time we have remaining, uh, Representative Lamar, can can you talk about how you you guys came to select and carve out this particular geographic area of Jackson as opposed to another area?
4: I'd be glad to. So the CCID itself was formed in 2017, stretches roughly from Jackson State University to the south, up to a little north of the University Medical Center uh in the fondren area um the it's it's got a lot of zigs and zags in it and last year we turned over the capitol police to the department of public safety and started trying to beef up the capitol police force uh, to assist with uh, helping jackson police department patrol and provide law enforcement inside the ccid area well if you're a law enforcement officer on the street And you've got your jurisdiction is limited to a specific area. You may have jurisdiction on street A, but a block over on street B, you may not have any jurisdiction. And that may look a certain way on paper, but when you're out in the street and you're, um, you You don't know know. actively performing your duties as a law enforcement officer, it's hard to keep up with what streets you're on and where you have jurisdiction where you don't in a situation where it zigs and zags. Like that. So we started looking at. at Trey, landmarks, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, we you got a break.
1: Can you hang around? Continue that, and then we'll let you go if you can yeah. just continue that. Appreciate it. Representative Trey Lamar is our guest on I'm Middays. Good. Coming right back.
3: <laughs> Properly set all controls before recording.
0: All systems go. The talk. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: back, everyone. Middays. We're trying to reconnect with Representative Lamar. Apologize for that. Lost him over the break there. Trying to get him back on, see so what we can do. Rhino's working on that. But no doubt the tension could be cut with a knife with respect to the state and the city government of Mississippi, of Jackson, Mississippi, they're at odds, no doubt, over this matter. I, I still just want to mention that this this political grandstanding that seems to have taken hold in our country a, at all levels it's unproductive. It's counterproductive. Doesn't really solve any problems. And. When I see that, even though I'm kind of a 50-50 person on term limits, and I've explained that, my reasoning for that, it's, it's not that I think people should go into office and stay there as a permanent fixture at any level. I think they should vacate and let other folks serve on their own accord, or the voters should, out of concern for someone staying in office for so long, vote for somebody different. My concern has always been that they, when they're exiting office and they know it, that they tend to govern consistent with scorched earth policy. But if they intend to stay, which is the case for so many, if not most, I haven't looked at the statistics there, that's when you see the measurement of every word, every action, with an eye towards the next election cycle. As opposed to what's in the best interest for the constituents of my respective district, jurisdiction, and on a, on a in a bigger picture picture sense, the state, the country, and just seems like often that takes a back seat in priority to. What can I do here to really show something that would be in my best political interest? So you got folks, in in this case, maybe on the floor, at least being recorded, is showing they're leaning on a controversial matter, public-facing leaning, but maybe privately saying... But, you know, I know there's a problem, and we got to address it, and we want to work together to do it. It just seems, again, counterproductive at a minimum, maybe a bit disingenuous. I think that's a fair way to describe it. it and it's um, not in the best interest of the people. It calls into question the whole notion, the commitment to public service, which is what it's supposed to be. And I keep thinking back to our founder's vision, which I think had it right. You work, in in the case of their time period, your work was on your own land to produce food to eat. <laughs> it's what it was about. And then help your neighbors live. And uh, provide them housing and the other minimum staples of life at the time, and then you'd go off and serve for a while, come back. Think about our first president. He did that, said, i I got to go back, even though they wanted him to stay. Imagine that today. Who would be so unselfish, so noble, so virtuous, I don't know, it's, and I'm I'm generalizing here, please don't misunderstand me, I know there's some people, absolutely, their heart, their minds are in the right place, they're bona fide, genuine public servants seeking to do the work of their constituents to the best of their ability. There's no doubt about that. I'm sorry we couldn't get Representative Lamar back, and uh, I'll do my best to, perhaps contact him directly and let him explain his rationale for it's a it's a reasonable question for uh, the area of the city that is taken in to the CCID should this bill become law it's headed to the Senate arguably the most controversial bill we've seen in a while. The only one I could compare it to, Rhino, was the so-called CRT bill last year, which really wasn't a CRT bill. But that one was, what, four or five hours? I believe this one was as well. And once again, I... I it bothers me that it, it got reduced down to race and racial conflict, racial connotation. It's... I don't think that's what this is all about, nor did I think last year's bill was either. We're coming right back with Kelly Bennett from Supertalk Mississippi News.
0: Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Supertalk Mississippi
1: everyone. Hour two of Middays from the Element Well Studios. We're working to get Kelly Bennett connected up. Sorry that we uh, were unable to continue the discussion with Representative Lamar and we are going to try to get him back on. I'm not sure if that will happen today but as soon as possible. Uh, I really think that um, he was going to inform us at a a very detailed level as to uh, the rationale for carving out that particular area of the city of Jackson and incorporating that into the Capital Complex Improvement District. Uh, I I don't think that was a decision that was made without a lot of input and careful analysis. So, and and I don't want to speculate on the uh, the reasoning either at this point <clears throat> really funny on the ceasefire tax line how the legislation legislature I think is what's meant there wanted to step in and help the city of Jackson when money is coming to the city from the federal government you know I've heard that argument before and I find it really ridiculous and here's why that that money is is designated for improvements to the water system of the city of Jackson. It's a, a bit shocking to me that that figure comes in at $600 million, and I have no doubt that it is likely to be uh, challenged with um, impropriety. concerned about that. I <clears throat> made that clear before that as long as the city of Jackson continues to adhere to It's existing procurement policies which provide preferential treatment to minority contractors or contractors that incorporate a significant amount of minority participation in their proposals. As long as the city provides favor in awarding those contracts, the citizens are not being served in an optimal fashion. We should seek and award contracts to vendors that offer the best value. Sometimes that's the low bid. Sometimes it's not. It depends on the nature of the work being awarded, and it just depends on the other non-financial qualitative aspects of the vendor's offer. And there are systems that are well established to score proposals across a broad set of categories, of which price is one, and there's a certain minimum weight typically assigned to the price. It's no doubt economic considerations have to be a top priority anytime you're spending taxpayer money like that. Certainly, that's more important than. The degree to which minority participation exists in a proposal, which really provides no value other than to the person selling it. We got Kelly now? Kelly.
5: Good morning. Happy Friday. Hey. Love a technical issue on a Friday. That's always fun.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, exactly. We have uh, we have been dealing with that a little bit here this morning, but that's fine. I've, I'm watching Rhino in there, looking at a bunch of screens and punching a bunch of buttons all at the same time. But we got you connected. Appreciate you coming on. What do you think about this uh, this last week in the legislature where we had bills on the floor being deliberated, some fireworks incorporated therein, and and then of course deadline day yesterday. In the respective yeah. houses, what do you think?
5: It's definitely been a busy time for the legislature, and they kept teasing us in the beginning. Do you remember when they were saying, "Well, it's an election year; it'll be slow."
1: Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and I was one of them. I'll admit. I said, "Surely it's going to be a fairly relaxed session and uneventful." And uh just pretty collegial you know is what i expected more more of a rubber stamp type deal here's a few bills we got to deal with push them through but that does not seem to be the case at this point
5: no they've really been busy but you know there were some issues at the forefront that were obviously going to have to be worked out and one of the big ones was help for hospitals yeah so Four bills have now moved through the Senate that are going to help with that. You've got the creation of two grant programs. One would provide, provide lifeline money to hospitals. The other would help community colleges build out their nursing programs. Obviously, we're still dealing with the nursing shortage. Um, so there are some other things going on in there. Still no Medicaid expansion now. Right, um, And that kind of had everybody divided. Uh, another issue that's kind of related but being handled separately is legislation to extend postpartum coverage for Medicaid recipients
3: mm-hmm.
5: from two months to a full year. That's gone through the Senate. So now what happens is they start mixing. The Senate bill now goes to the House. They're going to look it over, see what they think. There could be more debate. We've got one more big deadline coming up. So this week, Thursday was the general bill deadline. Uh, We're still not hearing a lot about these big money bills. And that's because that deadline, I believe is on February 22nd when that happens. So it's going to happen pretty quickly, but I would imagine that's when we're going to start hearing more about possible tax cuts, which I think a lot of us would love to see them work further on that. Um, course there's been a lot of talk this week about jackson do you bill based on your property tax (laughs) your property value or do you bill based on usage i loved what representative bound said this morning uh he said where are they getting this idea that you do it on property tax assessments nobody does that i don't think anybody does that in the country
1: and what was the response did anybody Um, rise to address that
5: well, legislation is in the works, so that they're going to be forced to do it on usage. So, <laughs> this idea for a lot of our lawmakers in Mississippi, anyway, seems to have come out of Westfield. Um, now, being the uh, the coast multimedia rep, I got to say I was a little disappointed that legalized mobile sports betting isn't going to happen this year. Right. What they did instead was create a task force to study the issue. And the reason I find that disappointing, Jay McDaniel, the executive director of the Gaming Commission, has told us in the past, you know, we could make this happen really quickly. It's up to the legislature to start the clock. So do we want to keep studying the issue, or do we just want to make it happen? You know, the geofencing technology is out there. Right. And if you think people aren't doing it illegally (laughs) already... You know, you're wrong. So we need to jump on this. This is millions of dollars that the state could be using.
1: Yeah, and it's just hard to believe that we can't seem to get that through. Do you have any sense of, I mean, obviously the casinos, I would believe, are lobbying in opposition to this. Is is that what's driving
5: you know, I'm not really sure what's driving it. That's a very good question. Are they just kind of kicking the, the can down the road saying, well, let's study it, and maybe it just makes it look like they're moving forward? Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's a little perplexing. I, I think that's another one of those situations that's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time, and we can keep putting it off. But I don't think that's permanent honestly, and we we might as well figure out how to deal with it. Um, other states have. And the same is true with respect to uh, mobile lottery as well. And that, that, that I'm sure, is going to have to be addressed as well by the legislature. There'll, there'll be a push for that. And, of course, that might not be received too well by the lottery retailers, and I certainly understand that. But it's it's um, it's a fact that, and it's a reality that I think is going to have to be addressed. What did you, what did you think about the CCID bill? We just had Representative Trey Lamar on, and I I happened to be in the Capitol for about three hours of that debate earlier this week. We're uh, yeah. we're up against the break. It took us a long a little bit to get you connected. Can you hang on and answer that? On the other side sure. of the break, Kelly? Okay, we got Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist for Super Top Mississippi News, and we're coming right back in the Element Well studios.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling!
3: Hit it, go! Play it!
0: Middays with Gerard Gippert. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Back in the Element Well Studios with Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. All right, Kelly, what do you think?
5: First of all, I love dio on a Friday. <laughs> nice, nice pick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you're talking about the creation of the Capitol Complex yeah. and kind of the degeneration of the whole debate at the Capitol. I think it's sad that race keeps coming up. You know. These pipes, the water systems, the sewage that uh, Representative Becky Curry is saying is being leaked into the Pearl River, and it's gross and it smells, and you know nothing's happening. It's not getting fixed. These situations—they don't—they don't stem from anybody's skin color. They—they they stem from the fact that the pipes are old. They haven't been kept up. Um, you know, the the sewage is leaking because we need some fixes in there. The, the situation with crime in the capital city, how can you say, Sue, so here's my point of frustration. The city is saying, look, obviously we're overwhelmed. We need help. Please come help us. Then you come up with a, a solution or, you know, maybe something that it could at least get them started on the right path. And then they go, oh, but don't, don't do it that way.
1: Right. Yeah, you know what i mean yeah that's exactly what we've been saying as well uh rhino in particular has made that point uh very eloquently that it, you you say you need help and then when we offer help you don't want the help you're mad about the the help it's 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 almost like uh you know when you try to teach teach your offspring you're always you always graciously accept a gift from a person if a person is willing to take their time and their treasure, whatever the case may be, and provide you with a gift. You may not like it, but you still smile and accept it and uh, and are grateful for it, express gratitude for it. But what we're getting here is not that whatsoever. I mean, so the state seems to at least be trying to come up with something to help. They haven't offered any alternative plan that would address right. these serious issues.
5: Right. And I think what's even worse about that, Gerard, is these national media outlets pick up on these kinds of stories where the race word is being thrown around and it makes us look bad. And again, that's why we get this reputation, you know, Mississippi, they're backward. Nobody's got a full set of teeth. You know, I mean, if if we all as a unit want the way our state is seen to improve on a national level, we've got to quit doing this. And we've got to, look, like, I've been doing news for 30 plus years. There was a time when everything didn't devolve. You know, you've got your your political parties and, and you've got your own belief systems, but people came together in the middle for the good of the people that they were yeah. in office to help. And I feel like that doesn't happen as much anymore, so much as the political agenda, people trying to to score political points, and it's sad.
1: And unfortunately, all the political points, it seems today, or the political rhetoric that is, is mostly spewed is cultural in nature. And and these are, or certainly, even if it's an economic issue, they they tend to devolve that into one of culture, which is really what's going on here. This is this is a, a, a matter of of uh, trying to help the city out because it it can't seem to get adequate staffing in its police department to patrol the area. It can't get staff for the jail. Therefore, we have no jail in the largest city in the state, which is crazy when you think about it. So the city comes in to try to provide some assistance, but immediately uh, that gets, I guess, held hostage and and commandeered (laughs) into the bucket of racism.
5: Right. And, you know, some of the things that have been said about the white sheets and you know that kind of stuff. It really is offensive.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the mayor said and, that, of course.
5: Yeah, and and I mean it's it's and it it accomplishes nothing. That's the most frustrating part. Is us voters, the residents of Mississippi, the taxpayers that are paying attention to what's going on are going and how is this debate helping to solve the problem? It's not.
1: It's not. All right, so Medicaid expansion, as you know, there were that was another big issue. Big in that, there, I believe there were 15 bills filed that would have expanded Medicaid in Mississippi in accordance with the Affordable Care Act's provisions that allowed able-bodied adults, so-called working poor, to be covered by Medicaid. All those bills... And then that was predictable. That that wasn't going to go anywhere. There's there's that no. That was
5: very predictable. Yeah.
1: No yeah. interest there. But but and and I just say that is for background um, to talk about postpartum Medicaid, which is a kind of a subset of that, if you will. Doesn't require full expansion, but would extend Medicaid coverage beyond the base sixty days that is provided postpartum uh, to a mother. And and this would extend it out an additional 10 months, essentially. But that passed the Senate and is now transmitted to the House. You, you got any thoughts on that? Uh,
5: I think this is something that they're, t- they're discussing a lot of what they call post-Roe legislation. Yeah. And this seems like one of the, um, you know, it's, it's not too hard to figure out that this would be a good way to help. Basically, in that arena, and it seems like, at least to me, it seems like most of our legislators are on board.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I don't. I know the speaker's not. Uh, I've asked him that question, you know, on the program, and he's. Certainly oh, you're not. right.
5: You're right because he sees it as an expansion of Medicaid.
1: Yeah, and and so I don't. I don't think that that really has much of a chance of passing the house and i i don't think the governor would sign it as well he's made it pretty clear he opposes uh such action as well so i don't think that's that's going anywhere the other one that uh we've been talking about quite a bit on the program and i certainly have belabored it maybe more than any other measure uh in the legislature is this one that would restrict the sale of new electric vehicles uh, to only independently own dealerships located inside the state. And you know, it's
5: funny you said that, because when you said one you've been really focused on, I thought you were going to say the ballot initiative restoration. I
1: have been on that one as well. And, and yes, you have. You know, we've got uh, a rather tepid effort, I'll call it, in the Senate, that <laughs> doesn't, I don't think, accomplish very much in the House. Representative Fred Shanks, Constitution Committee chairs, made it clear that he's just going to wait and see what the Senate does before they... And it did get out of committee, and, and so um, I believe that passed and is headed to the House.
5: Well, my personal opinion on the ballot initiative, they don't want to restore it, because they think the next voter initiative drive will involve Medicaid expansion.
1: Yeah, that and, and recreational marijuana and abortion. Those are the, yeah, three, the three big issues that there is concern that maybe the people would vote different at the ballot than the legislature, I guess, generally feels about those issues.
5: And I think that's why they took the teeth out of the restoration bill.
1: Yeah, uh, but I don't think the people are happy about that. I, you know, and a lot of folks, if, uh, of course, our audience is quite informed and they, they tune in regularly and, and hear us talking about it across our, our shows. Uh, but I think when they find out, yeah, this thing is, we still don't have such a mechanism in this state, folks are going to not be happy. And, I, you know, I would encourage people out there to pose these questions. It's election year. Pose these questions to candidates. Let them tell you, ask them to tell you how they feel about this, and and if they oppose uh, restoring a ballot measure process, uh, with the exception of the change to have uh, such measures put on the ballot by citizens affect statute as opposed to the Constitution, as opposed to amending the Constitution, let them tell you the rationale for opposing that.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people think along the same lines that you and I do. That you know the legislators might know what's coming next. They don't want to see it happen, so that's kind of why they're taking the teeth out of that bill. Another one I'm watching. It's possible we'll see a move to reduce the grocery tax. Yeah, maybe. yeah We'll hear we'll hear more about that down the line.
1: Got some I'm traction. I'm curious.
5: I'm curious. Before we have to go, Gerard. yeah. Who are you rooting for this weekend in the Super Bowl?
1: You know, I I think I don't have a dog in the hunt, but I think the Chiefs. Yeah? I think okay. so. Yeah, that's where I am. How about you?
5: Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't have a dog in the hunt either. <laughs> I used to date a guy that was a big Eagles fan though. I'll okay. go with the Eagles. Okay. Just, just we'll to see. make it interesting.
1: <laughs> we'll talk again next week. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks a lot. See ya.
5: Mid-day. Hey, is everybody ready? I'm ready. I'm
0: ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: There is a good live video out there on YouTube. I can't remember where they were performing, but the, the audience is gigantic. Of course, R.E.M. audience is a bit cultish, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. It's huge. And they perform it I mean really well. It's fun to watch it. But
2: uh, R.E.M., losing my religion. you got a crowd that big doing Shining Happy People. It's just wild. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That is true. The Super Bowl, Glendale, Arizona.
1: At the same time, as the golf tournament over at Cross town on the north side Which of town. Which,
2: actually, I thought of you when I was scrolling through Twitter earlier this morning and came across a picture of someone standing at that famous stadium pole. Yeah. Holding up a quiet, please sign.
1: <laughs> that that kind of reminds me of the old roadrunner cartoons right oh road runner hole.
2: <laughs> i thought of animal house all is well
1: all is well
2: all, all of that applies here
1: absolutely <laughs> yeah it uh, how rowdy is it gonna be out there in the desert
2: I would imagine there's at least a little bit of overlap on the Venn diagram of NFL fans (laughs) and PGA fans. Is there intersectionality between golf fans (laughs) and football fans?
1: (laughs) Uh, I haven't checked the weather. What's the weather look like out there? Typically, this time of year, it's spectacular. It's the best time to be in the desert. I don't know. But that... uh, it usually is. Today,
2: it? they're looking at a high of 73 with a low of 49, and the weekend highs will be in the 70s with lows in the 40s. Sunny, right? Uh, mostly sunny. There's a little bit of clouds on the Whoa. forecast, but uh, nothing cloudy until Tuesday. Okay. Well, should be
1: good weather. Of course, they're uh, inside there, right? Isn't that a dome in Glendale? Retractable roof, perhaps? can't remember, because I know they moved around. For a while, of course, the Cardinals, when they first went to Phoenix, were playing in Arizona State Stadium, because I've been to some games there on the ASU campus, the Sun Devils, pretty cool, in Tempe, Arizona, which is a suburb
2: of Phoenix. Apparently, the roof is retractable. That's what I thought. Yeah, pretty cool. I I was confused, because I did see a picture earlier in the week of them with the... I think they call it the plate or the platter where all the natural grass from inside the stadium gets moved outside the stadium to get some sunlight and then moved back into the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's open the pod bay doors, Hal, and the, the stadium opens up and out comes a whole field of grass. That's amazing. Of course, when they're playing football
1: out there during football season, it's hot out there. Oh, yeah. September, October time frame. Still hot. Quite hot, as a matter of fact. By the way, we apologize again for the technical situation with Representative Trey Lamar. He did, however, send me a text. Was good enough to send a text to continue his explanation about how they arrived at the the district, the CCID expansion, the, the specific geographic boundaries of that. And he said the bottom line is that we felt that clearly recognizable geographic boundaries would be better for law enforcement. So in addition to the current CCID area, the bill extended it to Highway 80 to the south. I didn't know that. State Street to the west county line to the north and the Pearl River, which, of course, divides the counties of Hines and Rankin
2: to the east. Yeah, looking at the map, I was wondering if State Street was the boundary or if the railroad tracks that run along State Street were the boundary because the line was right there.
1: Yeah. So there you go. And he he goes on to say the exact boundary is still up for discussion and debate and subject to change. So fair enough. Uh, I appreciate that, uh, Representative Lamar, for uh, passing that on. Let us know. You know, I want to go back to this person on before we got Kelly connected up that said, really funny how the legislature wanted to step in and help the city of Jackson when money is coming to the city from the federal government. A couple of thoughts about that. First, I think given the present situation, the status in the city of Jackson with respect to crime, in particular, With respect to crime, which is really the focus of this particular bill, that the legislature was likely to take this up, I believe, with almost 100% certainty, especially after talking to Representative Lamar about his rationale for it, regardless of whether or not the city was set to receive federal money specifically a big chunk of federal money that we don't have, by the way. We just print it, add it to the debt, lap it on the debt. Also keep in mind that that money is expressly designated for the water system, not even the sewage system. So, and again, I'm shocked that it's $600 million. That's a mind-boggling figure, And, and I say that because, before the individual that the federal government placed and positioned in the city to oversee water operations. And it's my understanding, Rhino, that is where the $600 million number came from, was analysis that that individual and their team conducted. And I, and I say that I'm shocked because I just remember $200, $250 million being the figure thrown out quite a bit. And the EPA rep comes out and says, the EPA official, comes out and says, $600 Federal government says, okay. With some nudging, clearly, on the part of our federal delegation, specifically Benny Thompson and Senator Roger Wicker, who did support the omnibus bill, was one of the 18 senators, Republican senators, that supported it, which enabled it to pass. Without their support, it wouldn't have. It had to have at least 10 to pass it. Uh, Our delegation in the House, with the exception of Benny Thompson, voted against that measure by the way. So I think this was going to happen no matter what. And again, that $600 million designated to address the city's water system and repair it, improve it, has nothing to do with with uh, police protection for the Capitol Complex Improvement District, nor does it have to do with establishing a separate judicial jurisdiction or operating the jail, opening the jail up. It had nothing to do with that. So I, I can't I can't connect those and I don't think that this action was grounded in that. And I know that's a popular thought by people who generally oppose this action. I wish this wasn't necessary. I just wish the state could stick with state matters and we could rely on those who are elected essentially to govern and manage because municipal government is more of a management function because you've got so many assets and so many services that are directly provided to the citizens within the boundaries of the municipality, perhaps more so, I would say, than state, if you think about it. It, And because, keep in mind that when you look at uh, the police department, now I understand we have a highway patrol that's responsible for uh, patrolling the highways across the state, uh, but a little bit more limited relative to a full municipal police department in terms of uh, their responsibility um, and their purview. So you got that, and then you've got water systems, sewage systems, public works, as they are called. It's in road infrastructure, and I know the state does that, but state legislators, I think it's fair to say, Rhino and state elected leaders aren't as directly involved in those functions. We have agencies that do that, that are appointed, generally speaking, uh, by our, our statewide leaders, governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the House, depending on the agency, and then they manage it. But you you really are in the trenches as a mayor and as a member of a city council or alderman, depending on your style, form of government. And unfortunately, what's happening in the city of Jackson is just abject failure. I don't see how any clear-thinking person can't acknowledge that and wouldn't acknowledge that. And I think what Representative Lamar says, yeah, the delegation in Jackson acknowledges that that's a problem and realizes it. That uh, some intervention perhaps is needed. How to accomplish that is a different story. And I don't think there's anything you could do that would be received positively by the mayor. Anything. Because I think he sees it as an indictment of his performance. Well, it kind of is. Let's call it what it is. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Come on, let's get on with the show. Yes. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Hey man, I'll leave me alone, you know. Hey
1: man, again. Oh Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. On this. Friday, yo. And that means it's time for In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. That's coming up today. After middays, today Steve will. The interviewing hit songwriter Casey Bethard, who has written several number one hits for the likes of Kenny Chesney, Darius Rucker, George Strait, and many more. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, Supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Also need to pass on that Middays is going to be downtown. Jackson at Carter Jewelers on High Street on Valentine's Day. When you draw a Hershey's Kiss, you'll receive extra discounts up to 30% off towards your purchase of all jewelry in the store. Plus, each purchase comes with a half dozen roses during this massive clearance sale. You know something else you need to be aware of, uh, Rhino, is that Valentine's Day usually means Scams. Oh, yeah. Lots of scams come out of the woodwork, and they work, otherwise, they wouldn't do it. That's the sad thing about it. Uh, There are a lot, uh, there's some interesting statistics, I should say, from the Federal Trade Commission. Some of the lies which were most prevalent last year (laughs) you've seen this. I or someone close to me is sick, hurt, or in jail. I can teach you how to invest. I'm in the military and far away. <laughs> I need help with an important delivery. We've never met, but let's talk about marriage. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> I've come into some money or gold. I'm on a rig or ship. <laughs> you can trust me with your private pictures. <laughs> Golly, that's terrible. The median reported loss last year, 4400 bucks. most of it given to scammers and crypto, followed by bank wire
2: transfers. Which, at that price point, it makes you think, for everybody that got scammed out of 20 to 50 bucks, somebody lost a fortune.
1: That's exactly right. Totally true. Golly, I hate to hear that. You... Hmm. Bad people preying on innocent people. It's about often the elderly. It's uh, just terrible. And I know the, uh, of course, we have a new cybersecurity division at uh, our attorney general's office. I know well the individual who's heading that up, a former Secret Service agent, do a fantastic job. And that's the kind of stuff they're looking for, various Electronic scams, course, use of the cyber world for all sorts of other illegal and malicious activity as well. Uh, it's just another example of valuable technology that in the hands of, of bad people, immoral, depraved people, is, is put to, to use in a nefarious way in an illegal way, and in a harmful way. It's terrible. No doubt about it. On the C Spire Tax Line, Dan in Hattiesburg says, sounds like the city of Jackson just wants the money with no strings attached. Well, I don't know where it stands, but I have said on the program, and I know you've heard me, Rhino, and I hate to quit to continue beating this drum, but I think it's important. As long as the procurement process the legacy procurement policies, which have been in place at the city for quite some time, as long as they continue to stay in place, at a minimum, the opportunity for corruption is high. And the state auditor Shad White's discussed that. That is, that that's just a, a core principle of uh, of auditing is you you look for situations where there's opportunity. The more opportunity there is, the more likely you are to see some sort of illegal activity with respect to uh, finances and money. So, yeah, the, the current procurement process, which, by the way, is followed to a great extent in a similar fashion in the federal government, Numerous municipalities, not so much at the state level, but very common at the municipal level, uh, to have implemented these policies that give advantage uh, based on, again, your physical immutable characteristics. Not any consideration or less consideration for, or certainly not prime consideration for, The best value. You know, like the most qualified person or party to uh, address a certain project that is being procured? No, that's not what we do. What you are is more important. March to Mediocrity. Coming right back. Super Talk News. Fox News coming up next. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays. We are live from the Element Well studios on this Friday, y'all. The sun is shining. I am headed out to the golf course later on today because it may be the warmest day of the three, counting Saturday and Sunday.
2: Yeah, it's oh. supposed to be the warmest this afternoon, but yeah. it's not going to be too terribly cool nah. this weekend. No. Nah. It's going to be Just... a mild weekend.
1: Bundled up a little bit. Of course we, we walk this time of year. We walk the course and that, that keeps you a little warm. But I'm not gonna quit railing on this procurement issue and I you know, I've I've have requested that the legislature take a look at perhaps prohibiting such practices in public procurement in the state. And what I mean by that is the practice of awarding additional points in scoring of proposals and bids, in some cases, if you don't meet the minimum specified minority participation in your proposal, you're not even considered. Help me understand how that's not discriminatory. It's hard not to see it that way. And folks won't speak up about it. I don't care. I'm speaking up. I'm not in political office. I can speak freely, honestly. Of course, you'd like for our elected officials to do the same, and I'm not saying they don't. Uh, I'm not generalizing in that respect. But I, I do know that if you were to say something like that, As an elected leader, the whole nation would descend on you, just like Representative Lamar said. What's going on right here in Mississippi has been picked up by national media. They're looking for this stuff, aren't they? It's like the jackpot for them. It's like they're mining for gold. We found it right there in Mississippi. Racism. Because we want people to be able to walk around our capital city and not worry about some thug taking their car. Hurting them or their family. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Oh, gosh. But no, everything gets attributed to it's a black and white thing. It's disgusting. And so I know that there's hesitation to address this issue. And you'd like to think you wouldn't have to, honestly, pass such a law that municipalities would realize that, you know, our job here is to spend taxpayers' money as efficiently yeah. as possible and in a way that produces maximum return on the taxpayer investment? It's amazing that you even have to, to talk about that. That seems I think most persons on the street, the average person, would say, yeah, well, that makes sense. That's kind of how I run my household, for the most part. And so now, scoring these proposals, depending on, again, the nature of what you're buying. If you're buying something very complex that requires uh, lots of sophisticated knowledge Experience, capability, the lowest price may not be the best, but it it needs to be a consideration. But what you should do is create a scoring matrix, which is typically what's done that assigns weights to the various important categories associated with the project. Technical capability, experience in the similar sort of work, references, uh, staff, specific staff and their resumes. I've done tons of proposals in my career where you had to include resumes of the staff that you were going to, proposing to assign to the project. Subject, by the way, to the buyer's approval. I've dealt with that before. That's pretty common. And by the way, you typically enter into contracts that allow the buyer, the customer, to request that a person be removed from the project, and you agree to comply with that. I don't know that I ever saw that in all the contracts I signed that stipulated that and included that provision. Thank God, was blessed, had great people never came up, but you could understand why a, a customer, a buyer, would want to protect themselves in that regard. It's their, it's their money. I get it. You don't like that? Don't bid. It's <laughs> as simple as that. Nobody's putting a, a gun to your head to make you participate. But as long as we keep placing considerable emphasis, sometimes even just a minimum criteria, to transact, to supply, regardless of what the goods and services may be, as long as we include race in that consideration, which is what happens, then we're not seeking the best value for the taxpayers. And in fact, if you think about the city of Jackson, what's the race that's getting harmed? Isn't it like 80% minority? So that's who's getting harmed. You talk about unfair redistribution, those that have figured out a way to work the system, they're benefiting from it at the expense of the people that are supposed to be serving, be served, and who are paying for it. That's exactly what happens. You think there's any skimming off the top going on or under the table? We don't know. I'm not alleging that. Sure does look fishy all the time, though, doesn't it? At a minimum, it ought to be investigated or considered.
2: I mean, the the language of this hypothetical bill could be very simple. I mean, it could simply state that no entity or sub-entity of the Magnolia State shall discriminate on the basis of race in the process of procurement.
1: Simple as that. Sim- simple as that. Uh, That would do it for me. Um, I'd like to see that happen. And those out there, lawmakers that might be tuned in, I'm recommending that to be considered. I don't know all of the municipalities in the state or other subdivisions where such policies might exist. But I do know they exist in the city of Jackson because I've dealt with them personally. Um it's it's basically so Senator Melanie Sojourner just sent me a link to a bill that she introduced in fact that would do just that. Her description of it is is that this bill would let's see, prohibit discrimination in contracting and that's what we're trying to do. I haven't looked at it. It's uh, right now it's uh, Senate bill 2867. 2867. But it's something to consider for sure and I I hope we get some traction there. This is you know this is all about this and this is way before the George Floyd incident, way before we saw diversity, equity and inclusion sub-organizations springing up in every private public sector entity in this country, it sure seems. This is long before that. It's been going on for a long time. I've always seen it as kind of a a legal way to institute reparations, if you could call it that. But it, it puts you at a decided disadvantage. Now, Maybe those who support these policies would say, well, this is just making up for all the lost time, so to speak. It goes back to Ibram Kendi's philosophy that we fight current racism with future racism and past racism with current racism. Yeah, that's how we fight racism. More racism. That makes sense. That's kind of what maybe some people would hang their hat on. It happens in the federal government, too, big time. You know, the only possible exception I could get on board with is veterans owned businesses. But you know what happens? People scam those deals, man. They they create all kinds of shell corporations to work around that, and make it appear that it is. But it's really not. And there it ends up they just end up getting used as tools to sort of front what's behind the scenes of substance it's providing the the work performing the work and so i don't know that it's accomplishing anything is intended it may be noble in its intent intent but in practice it's usually not what happens we're taking a break right here on middays we're in the element well studios stay with
4: us
0: program. Gerard Gibert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need news. to
5: listen to this.
0: Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Son. Well, now me and Homer Jones and Big John Pallet had a big crap game going back in the alley. And I kept rolling it. In the
1: there you go, Jerry and the bird. Jerry you're Reed. Hot. Hot. He also requested you're hot, you're hot. the great Kenny Loggins. I'm all right from Caddyshack. We might have to get to that one. So I looked up Senator Sojourner's bill. It's real simple. Very straightforward. One page. Senate Bill 2867. And I agree with this legislation. It died in committee on January the 31st, referred to accountability, efficiency, and transparency on January the 16th. Real simple says an act to prohibit the state of Mississippi and its political subdivisions from discriminating against or granting preferential treatment to any individual or group on the basis of race, sex, gender, sexual orientation, color, ethnicity, or national origin in the operation of public employment, public education, or public contracting, and for related purposes. I think that's the legal way of saying what I've been preaching, if I'm not mistaken, which just seems to be common sense fairness to me. Preferential treatment is exactly what's happening. This legislation would simply stop preferential treatment. How could anybody disagree with that? I'd like to hear their rationale for voting against this. You offered a plausible explanation, if you'd care to share that. Oh, yeah, once you
2: you put the the cloche of politics on top of it and apply a little game theory, you realize that if you pass that bill, well, the media and the left are immediately going to pounce and say, ah, see, we told you so. They've been racist this whole time. So,
1: awarding on the basis of, I don't know, merit, performance capabilities, qualifications, past history, reputation, value, is racist? Well, therein lies the problem.
2: Therein lies the problem. I didn't say their argument was based in fact. I'm just saying what they would say.
1: Well, you know what I would ask of those who voted against this? Have they ever dealt with this situation? I have. I have dealt with this. I have lost because... I didn't fit the profile. I've been discriminated against. I'm not whining about it. I'm not asking for anybody to do anything other than fix this law, pass this bill, and fix this problem, I should say, and stop these policies. How could anybody argue with that? And then you'd ask what's the rationale for the way it works now? What are you doing? You're just redistributing redistrib- uh, taxpayer money. That's all you're doing here. That's all this is. This is this is the most egregious form of government picking winners and losers on a subjective basis, as opposed to an objective basis. How could anybody object to that? I just don't. I don't get it. I really don't. But I, I'm telling you, folks. Go visit any of your municipal meetings. Go to any supervisors' meetings. Go watch. Don't take my word for it. Go observe it firsthand. See it. And you know, we were, to your point and uh, to Representative Lamar's point a bit earlier about some of this, some of this reaction to the public is to project a certain way to the public, for the press, for their constituents, but behind the scenes, the feeling's different. I'm happy to share this right now. This happened 22, 23 years ago in my career. I experienced this with the city of Jackson, and it was a situation where I was competing with another vendor who not only offered on a big project, an inferior solution, it gets complicated, but some of the complex technology being offered was not coming through legitimate sources. And what I mean by that is that this other vendor was not an authorized partner and did not have any technical capabilities and no experience, but had come in with a lower price because the equipment was being harvested from what's known as the gray market. Remember in the dot-com build-out, most of the website hosting environments utilized Sun servers. Remember that? It's, mm-hmm. you know, they invented it. A lot of people don't realize that. Web server technology invented by Sun, Sun Microsystems. Long before Intel platforms could provide that service, that technology. And so I had to get Folks from Sun Corporate to come to the city and say, if you buy this solution, understand that you have no warranty, we cannot guarantee service on this very expensive gear, and by the way, we're going to put a bill on your desk for the operating system, because as you know, operating systems, you don't own those when when you buy equipment that has an operating system loaded on it, you actually license it. And it is not transferable. That's the way it works. So Sun comes in. I had a Sun rep literally go to a city council meeting to explain that to them. Well, there was a member of the council, not on there anymore, long time ago, that I happened to run into while this thing was being debated, still in process, at the city. And said, I just want you to know, I understand your point, and I agree with it, but I hope you understand my reaction, my behavior was was because I felt like I had to for the people that are paying attention. Exactly what we were just talking about. Now this was 20 something years ago. Not that that is not a regular occurrence right in this in these situations. but I got the exact same exact same scenario. Yeah, you're right. We got it. Your solution is the one we need to go with. I hope you understand. I had to do that so people would see. I, honestly, I didn't know what to say. Of course, I was apolitical at the time, and I'm scratching my head saying, thinking to myself, wait, this is really about, about procuring a solution to solve a problem in this city. That shouldn't even enter the equation. This is very binary, binary. No pun intended, because we were dealing with a computer-based hardware-software solution. This should be about finding the most optimum approach in technology to solve a problem, not about who you're buying it from. Man, well, multiply that by a gazillion, because that's exactly how it works. You know that, over and over again. And I, I just didn't get it. I will say, ultimately, we did win. Because son scared them when they heard son and and look you wouldn't expect members of a city council to understand all those intricacies I get it you don't you can't imagine that somebody would show up and offer to sell something for which they're not authorized you, you normally wouldn't think that'd come into play. You know, that actually used to happen quite a bit in the early build-out of the automobile retail industry. That's why there's a holdback. Most people are familiar with that. The, The dealer, I don't know if that model still exists today, but for a long time, the dealer would not receive their full margin on a vehicle until they proved they sold it legitimately and provided that information as requested. And then the manufacturer would send them so-called rebate and that was to prevent those automobiles from being dumped out onto the market because in those days when you signed up to be a dealer the manufacturer just sent you whatever your contract specified, just sent you vehicles, boom, here they are, unload them you gotta go sell them and they'd get kind of underwater and they'd get the inventory built up because they weren't able to move them and they start dumping them and they'd sell them at, at a, a sometimes a figure below cost just to get them off their books and get something. And then those would go into various outlets and get sold out on what was called the gray market. Same thing happened in the technology business. And that's what was happening when all the dot-coms were shutting down and they didn't need those sun servers. They were dumping them all. You could buy a million-dollar sun servers on eBay back in those times. Unbelievable. I know I beat that horse to death. All I'm saying is, I don't think there's a clear path to truly addressing Jackson's core issues, which I want to see get addressed and get resolved until the procurement process is fixed, is normalized. That's all I'm saying there. And there you go, Kenny Loggins. Bumping on the side of this segment. We're coming right back. Stay with us. We are back in the Element Well studios. It is midday, Super Talk Mississippi on this Friday, y'all. If the state takes over the water and sewer, we will all be on the hook for $600 million needed to fix the sewer system, says Bill and Brandon. Not sure what you mean by that, Bill. Uh, and it also, I believe those funds are designated exclusively for water and not sewer. That's my understanding. From the feds. From the feds. That's what I'm talking about.
2: Right. And he's saying because it's exclusive for water, then with the state taking over sewer, the state's got to pick up the tab on the sewer. I see.
1: Okay. Fair enough. And wasn't uh, the legislation to do so, didn't it, not contemplate perhaps establishing a board, as I recall? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. And, And, of course... The board's primary function? Procurement. Because the board can't fix it. This is going to have to come from third-party vendors. Are they going to adhere to this present City of Jackson's procurement processes that provide policies, that provide preferential treatment based on minority participation? Or are we going to really cons- concern ourselves with who are the most qualified people and the best approach, the best value to fix the water system? My guess is that even the minority residents of the city of Jackson really don't care who fixes it. They just want it fixed. I don't think they care about the race. Fair fair enough? Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, They don't. The only people that care about that are the ones that are benefiting from it. That's a handful of people versus a couple hundred thousand. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mose says, Gerard, the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced the Black Caucus is nothing more than a bunch of spoiled brats. When they don't get their way, the cry of racism is their version of a temper tantrum. And I I would point out, Mose, it's not just the Black Caucus, and, and maybe you're referring to, of course, to that which exists here in the state, in the legislature, but on the national scene, you see a, a, a lot more outcry and... And um, uh, just madness coming from uh, the white liberals over this, the rage that emanates from the white liberals. You saw that the other day when Elon Omar was banned from being on the Foreign Affairs Committee. That's where most of that rage comes from, and they all chime in on that. It's a, it's a virtue signaling on steroids deal, is really what it is. Tony and Saltillo says, public safety... And civilized society is racist? I agree. And in, until, again, we dispense with trying to attribute every single action that with uh, with which a person disagrees or a group disagrees to racism, I don't see how we ever cut to the chase and solve the problem and truly address the problem. What was the minority set aside for the Siemens water meter deal? I don't know the answer to that. I would be shocked to find out that that contract did not have the standard minority participation requirement incorporated in the request for proposal and considered in the scoring and award of the contract. Have you all talked about the legislatures trying to get the legislature I think is what's meant there. Trying to get their hands on Pers, the Public Employees Retirement System. No, but happy to. I would. That's Chris and Boomville, by the way. I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think I would. I would describe it that way. Trying to get their hands on it. What I can share is in my conversations with members of the legislature that are concerned, rightfully so, about the long-term stability and solvency of the Public Employees Retirement System. Something needs to be done. And I know I've said this before. I think it bears repeating. It's just like Social Security. Real easy. Got three choices. One, you take in more money. Two, you spend less money. Three, combination of the two. And, of course, the spending we're referring to is benefits. Now, that could take many shapes and forms. That doesn't mean just cut everybody's check. Maybe it means you you have to stay active in the system longer. The time required to vest. Is longer. Maybe the retirement age is moved up. Maybe the contribution rates are increased. Nobody wants to do that either on the employer side, which is the taxpayers, or the employee side, which would be the public sector workers. Nobody wants to do that. So what the legislature is proposing, so you'll know, folks, is is um, to empower the legislature to make adjustments to contribution rates and benefits. Right now, that authority rests within the board of PERS. And I don't think there's a lot of interest among the board members to make those changes, to impose any sort of adjustments here. It's not popular, obviously, if you show up and say, hey, your contribution rate's going on. Wouldn't be popular to say, sorry, all you that are coming into the system at some point in time, some designated date from that point on, you've got to work longer to vest. Maybe your benefit package is changed, altered somewhat downward. Nobody, of course, wants to address the, ter- the 13th check. Wow. That's like kryptonite There is my understanding, Rhino, there are a um a pretty sizable number of people that are still receiving PERS benefits that are over the age of a hundred. So when you look at the way the thirteenth check is calculated, that's considerable. In, in the thirteenth check, the, the premise of it It's a cost of living increase. It's a, it's a cost of living increase that that, that are, there are two elements of it. And the second element, it's three percent, is is based on The compounded value of benefits through the years of of uh, being retired.
2: Yeah, because when you retire under PERS, your pension, your your monthly pension payment is set based on the salary or pay you have when you retire. Right. There, there is no adjustment on that. It stays the same. From the day you retire to it's set the day you no longer receive benefits. So the so the
1: 13th check is designed to uh, to cover uh, inflation essentially. It's a right. cost of living adjustment, and so your benefits that cost of living adjustment is paid in the form of a single lump sum 13th check. And be, you're right because you may have uh, in the case of someone over 100 retired a long time ago uh, that that benefit wouldn't really be aligned with uh, today's uh, expenses, living expenses, and just the, the value of the dollar today because of the inflation that has incurred occurred since then. And so the 13th check is designed to account for the increase in the compounded increase of inflation through the years. It's 3% of the compounded value of, of um, each year's full benefits. So my guess is that those over 100, their 13 checks probably several multiples of their standard annual pension. No doubt about it. If you think about when they likely retired and just considering the way inflation has gone. So I think what the legislature is trying to do here is maybe force the uh, the board to take action because it's unsustainable as it is right now. It's unsustainable. See, nobody wants to hear this. you got Joe Biden now, who has clearly elevated the issue of Social Security and Medicare to the top of the issue list. He's made that now, you've seen him speak the last couple of days, top talking point. And in the, in the, what he insists is that Republicans want to sunset Social Security and Medicare. And the other night during the State of Union address... That was the only time I can remember where Kevin McCarthy did react in a very visible fashion. You could see him in the background shaking his head saying, not true, not true. And that's when Marjorie Taylor Greene exclaimed, liar! Remember that. I don't think that was appropriate. But, you know, the president should tell the truth. We wouldn't have to do that. So I'm putting a little fault on both sides there. Tell the dang truth. I know that's hard. No, know you've never done that your whole life. Certainly your entire political life that we know about. Try something different. Tell the truth. Be honest. And, of course, you know, just bringing up the subject of Social Security and Medicare draws ire that you just cannot imagine. Probably death threats, to be honest. So Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, the senator, and Rick Scott in Florida, both have said... We got to do something, and they've what they've suggested is, hey, maybe we ought to sunset every single federal program every five years, and if it's worth keeping around, surely the good people in the Congress will see fit to enact it and fund it. I don't know that that's a bad idea. Now I'm not in office or presently a candidate for office. I don't care what they think. I'm just telling the truth. It ain't going away, Joe. You can say, well, well, as he did the other night, you heard him. We can just take that off the table, right? Well the problem's still there. It doesn't go away because you just declared it off the table. Money doesn't work that way. Coming right back on midday's final segment.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey Record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
1: everyone. Final segment, Midday Super Talk Mississippi. So, yeah, the, the PERS situation, in every state does it a bit different, but the, the fundamental challenge with all of these public pensions is that you earn the benefits for life. It doesn't matter how much you paid in, you've long since blown through the amount you paid in, and your employer paid in, and accounting for the return on the investment of those monies, but you still get paid. It's not the same as traditional 401k plan or defined contribution plan pension, where once you run out of money, you run out of money. There ain't no more. But in Social Security, Medicare, and in PERS, and in all the other, virtually all the other public pensions in the nation, at all levels of government and and uh, for all the various entities that have public pensions, most of them that I'm aware of, I don't, in fact, I don't know that I'm aware of any that are not defined benefit programs, which just means, as Rhino said, you lock in to your benefit structure when you elect at retirement, and you receive that for life. Now, in some cases, you may opt for a lower benefit while you're alive and have some sort of lump-sum payment to a beneficiary or even annuity recurring payment to a beneficiary. It's just different states and, and programs have different options at retirement. But the bottom line is it's not limited by the amount you paid in. That's what a traditional defined contribution plan, such as folks in the private sector are familiar with the uh, defined uh, uh, 401k plans I should say and they're just standard defined contribution plans you put money in it your employer also maybe contributes and that money's there in a lump sum in that account it's been earning interest and and um, also just increasing in value based on what's it in, invested in and you retire and you start withdrawing but once you withdraw it all there ain't no more left that's how it works so it's a big-o issue. The problem is with Social Security, same thing. Joe Biden says, it's off the table. But the problem doesn't go away, Joe. And you've offered no solution except, right, I know the big solution they've offered. We have to end the cap. Lift the cap. Which means that presently, if you're familiar with how Social Security works, once you hit, I think it's 160000 and change in 2023. Once you're Earnings hit that level, Social Security is no longer levied on your pay, on your wages. Medicare, however, has no cap. It's the smaller of the of the two. It continues on indefinitely without any cap. Social Security caps out. What Joe and the Democrats want to do essentially is in the cap, lift the cap, which means higher income earners are going to pay more, by the way, they don't get more benefits; they just pay more. So they're essentially the plan is: let's get the high-income earners to pay for the retirement of everybody else. That's their goal. They believe that's fair.
2: Just like they believed it was fair to put the medical costs of the elderly on the young and fit. That's exactly right.
1: That's exactly right. So they ended what is known as community rating, which essentially was a practice that insurers employed where they charged higher premiums for folks more likely to use uh, their insurers, their coverage, because they get sick more. Older folks, it's
2: the way it works, the way God made us. It's almost like the Democrats never seem to realize that recutting the pie doesn't mean more pie. That's exactly right. So
1: well said. And they're they're experts at redistributing the pie, They don't know squat about growing the pie. In fact, they they couldn't name a policy. So in the case of Social Security and Medicare, yeah, their plan is, well, it's Social Security because Medicare, we already don't have a cap, as we indicated. But with respect to Social Security, they want to lift the cap, making all wages, even if you make $5 million a year. You keep on paying that, whatever it is, 6.25, I think, is the number that comes to mind. You keep paying that. Now, when you get ready to retire, you don't get any more benefits. That caps out at like 3600 bucks a month. You think about paying potentially some of the high-income earners millions of dollars, and when they retire, they get hundreds of thousands. <laughs> That's the way it works. Here's something else they won't tell you, though. It still doesn't fix the problem. I, I read a ton of reports last night on this, and and uh, organizations that have analyzed, put the models together, the actuarial models, it only addresses about half the problem. It still doesn't fix the problem. They never want to say that, but the average person says, yeah, just let those rich people pay for my retirement. I'm good with that. We're out of time here today, folks. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll continue these and many other discussions on Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.